Welcome to the second episode of Once I Was Colonized, where two girls discuss much more than two ideas on social political issues. I'm Indu. And I'm Youngsa. And on today's episode, What Voter Suppression Can Do. If there are any topics that you want to hear us discuss, talk to us at Once I Was Colonized on Instagram or at Once Colonized on Twitter. Today's episode is an affiliation with our school's chapter of Red Cross, but they do not endorse any political opinions discussed in this podcast. So let's talk a little about the current events that happened at the midterms. We're recording this at on late November 2018, and the midterms happened on November 6, 2018. So first I want to talk about North Dakota. There was a court case called Break Bill versus Jager, and... All the headlines that I saw said that the Supreme Court now makes it harder for Native Americans to vote in North Dakota. And I was like, what? That's terrible. Mm -hmm. But actually, the Supreme Court didn't actually rule on the voter ID case. Well, this is a voter ID case. I'm going to explain it later. But the Supreme Court didn't actually rule on it. They actually declined to intervene. But that upheld the decision of the federal appellate court, which said that the law was good to go whereas the district court said that the law was a no good and the law required an address for everybody to vote our queen rbg wrote a dissenting <laughs> opinion joined by justice Selena kagan and she made two major points so number one was that the voter confusion would be too severe ahead of the midterms in november because this case was this was put out in early october and the stricter law that requires everybody to have a physical address and an ID with the address was not enforced at the primaries because the primaries was between the district and appellate decision, so the the law was not enforced at the time. But more importantly, um, Justice Ginsburg pointed out that 70,000 North Dakota residents, which constitutes nearly 20% of the turnout in a regular quadrennial election, lack a qualifying ID under the law's provisions, and another 1,800 residents lack supplemental documentation sufficient to permit them to vote without a qualifying ID. And the thing is, most native reservations in North Dakota don't use physical addresses. They have PO boxes, but they don't have physical addresses. So, and also the native population has a disproportionate amount of homeless people, which would obviously make it harder for the Native American population as a voting bloc to be able to influence the election Mm -hmm. and most of this these people didn't have the supplemental documentation that they would have needed to vote without documents like uh utility bills but they didn't have any of those either and interestingly this law would also affect turtle mountains tribal elections because they follow the state and federal laws for electoral requirements so these people of the Turtle Mountain tribe would have not been able to vote for their own tribal elections. So the tribes ended up scrambling to assign addresses and print IDs for the people of the tribes. And actually, the Native Americans' voter turnout was very high. It was at a historic high since 2008. Yeah. So let's move on to Georgia. So there were so many problems with this election. Yeah. 50,000 votes were put on hold. Uh, voting machines weren't working, so people had to switch their polling stations. There were long, 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 long lines for people to vote. Mm-hmm. And pe- citizenship statuses were not updated. And uh, that's because of this court ruling on 
the week before the election who required the people's statuses had not been updated so the ruling was you have to give them a ballot if they bring all of these problems were associated with georgia and because and you can see like how the same changes in rules and updates that we saw in north dakota are also seen in georgia and the more close to the election that these changes happen the more voters have no idea which like regulations they have to adhere to Mm -hmm. and and then there's this other thing that was really championed by brian kemp who in addition to being the overseer of the election was also running as the republican candidate for governor how is that allowed yeah like isn't there inherent bias to the fact that you are running for a elected position and you are also the one running the election yeah like man recuse yourself yeah uh, and so he institutes this exact match system, which is incredibly stupid because <laughs> any typos or uh, hyphens that are like not in a person's last name when they write it out disqualifies whatever your ballot is. So if you misspell your own name on accident, then you get immediately disqualified, even if it's because of like a misreading. Or, or my my dad's name has a Y, but he like wrote it a little flat, so they made his um driver's license was a t mm-hmm. so if he was in north not not north dakota if he was in georgia and he, if he was trying to vote they wouldn't have let him which is stupid because he didn't even make the mistake the person just couldn't read right and these are cancellations that are manually made they're automatically canceled so people who didn't correct their information in 40 days would not be able to vote and um in 2016, there was a lawsuit that said over 86% of registrations that weren't processed were from non-white voters. And even though half of the registrations were from white people, so they eventually... Yeah, did. so the deadline was gone for a while, but then they like passed a very similar law that put the deadline at 26 months, which is way better than 40 days. But yeah, they do have a deadline. Uh, basically... The court was like, you can't have that law. And they're like, cool. And they're like, wait, why can't we have it? And then they fixed the reasons and then put a very similar law back in place that was enforced this year too. And then at the midterm, 70% of the rejected ballots that didn't clear the exact match system were from black voters. And many of the blocked voter registrations were from urban areas with high black populations. But in areas with smaller black populations, the percentage of pending registrations from black voters exceeded the percentage of black residents living in the area. So as you can see, even if supposedly the system was made to encounter supposed voter fraud, it had the effect of impacting black communities more than other yeah. communities. Also, um, something that I've been thinking about with like the very, 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 very long lines in Georgia, you know, the basic principle that I learned, we learned on the first day of econ was time is money, you know? So if these people are living like off, like hour by hour wage, like if that's all the income they have and they can only earn as much as they need for each day. Like these people, they cannot afford to vote. Yeah, it's literally they're literally economically disincentive disincentivized from voting because they can't 
yeah like literally what you said they can't afford to vote and is that something that like any democracy should have a problem with america don't champion so. of democracy right and like that's why a lot of european countries have voting like voting day as yeah. a holiday yeah, like you shouldn't yeah you shouldn't have to take away time from work in order to mm-hmm. perform your duty as a citizen that's discouraging being an active participant in democracy so moving on to texas our former attorney general jeff sessions uh who is better known as kate mckinnon uh showed, <laughs> <laughs> i love kate mckinnon so much uh, showed his Support. He's also part raccoon or something. <laughs> showed his support for voter identification laws that were found to be discriminatory, and in fact, many opposed his appointment because Coretta Scott King had spoken against him because in 1986 he was accused of trying to suppress the black vote in his own state. And I think Texas itself is just one example of the many states in which incumbent candidates are using their power as an incumbent in order to stop the black vote in order to Mm -hmm. make sure they continue to keep winning elections which in and of itself is so bad because they're the ones making the rules that govern the elections that they participate in so historically voter suppression was systematically for the sole purpose of disenfranchising people of color like now i think at least they can claim that it wasn't systematic. Like, they'll be like, oh, we were trying to prevent voter fraud, but then this unintentionally happened, even if we can tell that the effects are pretty disproportionate. Like, at least they can sort of make that excuse at some point, I think. They tried to do that. Right. But in the past, they were, like, straight up, like, not letting people vote. So, first of all... The universal white male suffrage was established in 1868, Mm -hmm. so that got rid of the property qualifications for white males Mm -hmm. in the United States. And in 1870, technically, it is illegal to discriminate on the basis of race. On paper, it is illegal. But we all know that everybody was discriminated against. And uh, we're going to talk about those discriminatory laws in a second. But first, let's talk about like who literally was not allowed to vote. In 1920, women were allowed to vote. And again, technically, this is supposed to be all women. Men of color were also applied to women of color. In 1924, Native Americans were given the right to vote regardless of tribal affiliation. Because previously, only Native Americans who gave up their tribal affiliations and became a United States citizen could vote. And somewhere along this line, there was something about Chinese immigrants who could become citizens. But I think that only applied to Chinese immigrants, not Asian Asian immigrants. immigrants. So I found that interesting. Okay, let's talk about the ways that even though... Yeah, even though like on paper in 1870, it was made illegal to discriminate on the basis of race, like whether or not you can vote, they were still kept from voting. So these... White people are very, very creative. They had the poll test, <laughs> literary test, and the grandfather clause, which is so creative. They found all know. these ways to stop black people from Yeah, yeah. It's like, how do you come up with these? So the literacy test is what it sounds like. It tests your literacy, except it doesn't test only literacy. It also tests history, which, you know, uneducated people have no way of knowing. It is a little advanced, like, I remember there's a question, like, who was the first president? Which, I guess you might know, but probably wouldn't know if you were a slave until, like, three years ago. Right. Yeah. 
but also just like okay so many slaves former slaves so many black people didn't know how to read at the time but and on top of that they like how would they know history because they weren't given a proper they weren't education. allowed to be yeah educated. yeah so my ap gov teacher in freshman year gave my class lit- literacy test to give to her parents because most of her parents are immigrants and i think my dad failed because the time limit was very short and the poll tax is what it sounds like you have to pay a tax to vote which is not democratic at all and again former slaves who were very poor didn't have any money to begin with just tried to start up but can't start up because systematic racism they couldn't afford this but the really really creative part here is that these could also accidentally disenfranchise poor white people so they went ahead and came up with a grandfather clause that said that if your grandfather could vote before a certain date you could also vote but of course that date was before abolition so something interesting is my dad asked me if it's been so long since slavery was abolished why are black people still as a group generally having such a hard time like isn't it about time that they like can do stuff and i was like dad they couldn't vote until the 60s -hmm. like my dad genuinely didn't know so please don't be mean to him but he genuinely (laughs) like they couldn't vote it's so easy for us to like look at the progression of history and be like it's inevitable that black people got the right to vote but it was literally what like 53 years years ago it's it's so unbelievable to think an entire group of people did not have the right to influence the government under which they were being governed governed Yeah, yeah exactly they had no say in any laws that were made that affected them yeah, so all of these uh, literacy tests and poll taxes were abolished in the 1965 Voting Rights Act, which was signed by Lyndon B. Johnson. The literacy test, this was a federal law, but later literacy tests at state levels were also banned in court ruling. But in 2013, in Shelby County versus Holder, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act... Drop down the coverage formula used for Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act which meant that you had to pre-clear any new voting practices for historically discriminating counties so yeah counties which were repeatedly offenders of like this policy and Mm -hmm. so then they had to get federal approval before any new law but it didn't strike down section 5 itself it just struck down that coverage formula so now they have to work to create a new one yeah so aclu is trying to do that congress is supposed to do that but it's currently not being enforced yeah so the logic behind the lawsuit itself is that it it is no longer applicable because it is so long ago but honestly if you think about it, it is less than a generation ago like 50 years is not that long of a time Mm -hmm. i think the same people who are racist were probably still racist in those counties yeah also like another thing to say is even with the abolishing of all of these laws you can't say that black people weren't actively being 
suppressed by literal physical violence like Mm -hmm. they would be targeted and attacked if they if white people knew that they were voting they would be harassed at the polls they would be threatened they would be lynched all of these things were happening and their houses would be like attacked Mm -hmm. and uh the kkk would literally have like lists of black voters in their area and like try to actively stop them from voting so it wasn't just laws that keeping them from having the right to vote it was also the people there and the physical violence inflicted upon them yeah we have to remember that it really wasn't that long of time ago so it seems that systematically people were like literally just banned from voting for a long time so voter registration was not available to them does voter registration disproportionately affect people of color well the heritage foundation says that it doesn't the percentage of whites and this is directly from the study who claimed that they did not vote because of a registration problem was 3.2 percent as compared to 3.3 percent of blacks and only 2.8 percent of hispanics the heritage foundation study says that the reason people aren't registered isn't because they're discriminated against, but because they don't register. It was actually backed by a Pew Research Center study that shows that people who aren't registered to vote are far less likely to engage in any civic engagement, like volunteering. But Van Newkirk from The Atlantic says it does disproportionately affect people of color. Definitely. So there were like many levels of affecting people of color so first of all just straight up problems with registration i'm just gonna quote from the article that was written in the atlantic nine percent of black respondents and nine percent of hispanic respondents indicated that in the last election they or someone in their household were told that they lacked the proper identification to vote which sounds fine but only three percent of whites said the same 10% of black respondents and 11% of Hispanic respondents reported that they were incorrectly told that they weren't listed on voter rolls, as opposed to 5% of white respondents. In all, across just about every issue identified as a common barrier to voting, black and Hispanic respondents were twice as likely, or more, to have experienced those barriers as white respondents. And then, aside from the registration itself, black and Hispanic respondents were far more likely to have trouble voting, because 15% of black respondents and 14% of Hispanic respondents said that they had trouble finding polling places on election day, versus 5% of white people. Additionally, more than 1 in 10 blacks and Hispanics missed a registration deadline to vote in 2016, as opposed to just 3% of whites. And black and Hispanic respondents were twice as likely as white respondents to have been unable to get time off work for voting. Roughly 1 in 10 Hispanics said that the last time they or someone in their household tried to vote, they were bothered at the polls. Again, as we talked about, literally being harassed at the polls mm-hmm. is a problem that was very prevalent in the 60s. And although it's not as prevalent now, it still exists. Yeah, and with the trouble finding polling places, that's because like we were talking about Georgia, where like a lot of the voting machines literally didn't work. So people uh, had to yeah. switch their polling place from mm-hmm. somewhere that's way closer to wherever they live to somewhere that's farther away. Yeah. And like in a lot of uh, states, you can see that the proportion of polling areas is much higher in uh, less urban, in like mm-hmm. suburban areas than yeah. it is as compared to urban areas with yeah. higher black populations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did, uh, did you, sorry, did mm-hmm. you watch the Key and Peele skit? black republicans yeah i did yeah it is so funny yeah do you want to talk about that yeah sure it is like basically 
these people have a black people have a truck that say black democrats and they're like driving these black people to the polls and they keep like not like going the wrong way going in circles and then suddenly this like other black guy just like jumps in front of the van and they get out and they're like well yes you can't go and then somebody's like why are you guys all wearing the same jacket mm-hmm. and they they like peel off the sticker on the van and underneath black democrats and actually says black republicans <laughs> they're trying to keep other black people from voting that's fun yeah and, it is funny yeah and so with these with these attempts to like suppress black voters or just voters in general or native americans whoever it is who like would probably vote democratically we also see uh assumptions about electoral fraud increasing on uh the right specifically donald trump in the last election suggested that a lot of elections are rigged and he also like thereby questioning the legitimacy of all elections in the united states itself which is like a total other issue but also um it started increasing questions about like voter fraud in a lot of uh uh northern states and once he became president he made the presidential advisory committee on election integrity which in addition to sounding something like something out of 1984 (laughs) is probably actively causing voter suppression right now through its unevenly enforced laws surrounding signatures voter ids and cross-check functioning which is basically just a big uh system of all the voters in the united states Oof. so um yeah so i was sticking around and i googled electoral fraud because i was trying to find out if voter registration is actually doing a good job and whether we really need it and i found a bunch of articles by so i found an article by a european guy who was like in norway you don't have registration and america's stupid <laughs> but anyway i also found on the heritage heritage foundation website there's a voter fraud map which i think is so extra so funny and it said that there were 1177 proven cases of electoral fraud But it didn't say for what period and that, you know, like could be in the history of the United States or it could be last month, you know. So I checked and they had options all the way back to 79, but there's nothing for 79, 80 and 81. So I think the furthest record is way back in 1982. So, okay. The 1177 electoral fraud, like, okay, those are crimes, but... Is it really enough to rig an election? No, it's genuinely very negligible. And I found something from the Brennan Center of Justice, and I could tell you all the statistics, but basically they had a very, 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 very long list that said that the levels of electoral fraud are basically negligible. Right. And even the studies that suggest like 0.02% of voters fraudulent, like even those could have errors that actually make it less. Mm-hmm. So Hard yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I think the fact that the Trump administration has like brought this issue high on the policy agenda of like all the other issues they could be caring about right now is really problematic and representative of how like the media gives a lot of attention to Trump himself and ideas that Trump pushes when they're actually not that much of an issue mm-hmm. and they don't deserve the resources that are diverted to solve those 
that are supposed to solve those issues. Voter suppression is not a story of a long time ago. It is very actively done until only 50 years ago. And even today, it's not gone. And that is America, champion of democracy, doing very well. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Once I Was Colonized Today. Tweet us at at once colonized <laughs> give us attention at at once i was colonized <laughs> on instagram and talk to us about voter suppression online and let us know what you think see you next time i can't talk <laughs>